Hey friends, welcome back to the Jubilee Freedom and Shalom podcast. On this week's episode, we decided to post a sermon of mine from the beginning of 2021, a couple weeks ago, about the image of God. And we've talked about that before on this podcast, uh, but we wanted to circle back again and strike up that conversation again. Uh, another part of that sermon was I called my church to repurpose a holiday, to repurpose New Year's, and to use it as a time to recommit to God instead of it being another empty holiday where we just you know, look forward to a new year that is different but not. Um, and so that's part of what I talked about, and that's what Nate and I talked about last week, and we will continue to talk about next week. So we thought this would be a good in-between as an example of a holiday that could use some repurposing. So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you again for taking part of your day to join us. Um, That's a great Um, place. I just had had a support mark. But yeah, 2021 is here. And um, anybody make any resolutions this year? Anybody into like super into the resolution? Kendra says sort of super into the resolutions thing. Isn't that just a funny thing that we do every year? I don't know about you, but I actually have a really hard time. I don't know if it's a lack of discipline or um, I'm forgetful or uh, I just set goals that are too high, but I am, I am really bad at keeping my resolutions every year. In fact, this past year I had four resolutions. I kept one, sort of. Um, I just have a really hard time with it. And I actually think the rest of the world shares the sentiment with me. A study recently showed that 45% of Americans that were surveyed said they make New Year's resolutions but only 8% of them said they actually are able to keep them. So my question is, why do we do this? It's just weird to me that no one is making you make resolutions. No one's forcing you to do it. You don't have to do it like keep your job or be a U.S. citizen or uh, be a member of the church or not get disowned from your family. Like no one's forcing this on you, but we do it. And then when we don't accomplish the thing that we set out to accomplish, we guilt trip ourselves, get really mad at ourselves, make ourselves feel really bad for not accomplishing the thing that we set out to do. And no, all the while, no one is making you do it. You just impose it on yourself. So anything like that, I, usually, I get really curious about things like that. Something that we're imposing on ourselves with no one else uh, forcing it on us. So I did some digging. I looked at some history. I'll just give you a brief history. There's actually hints of New Year's resolutions being a thing all the way uh, for the Babylonians. And it's kind of a stretch to call it a New Year's resolution, but essentially they would hedge their bets. So mid-March was their their new year, and they would make a ton of sacrifices to their gods. And it was basically a way of like hedging their bets for the year to say, I'm going to please you right now. Just remember this through the rest of the year. Whatever you choose to do on earth, just remember that I treated you well. This, this day. And then we fast forward to Julius Caesar in Rome. The calendar starts in January, and it's similar. It's kind of hedging your bets with the gods for the year. But then we fast forward all the way to the 1700s, which I know I'm skipping a ton of history. But you get to the Christians in the 1700s, particularly John Wesley and his followers, and they take this primarily pagan practice and do what good Christians have been doing for a long time, which is taking pagan things and redeeming them. And they redeem this practice of, of making these resolutions every year. And they take it as a time to recommit to God, to renew their covenant with God. And this is where we see the beginning of watch night services, which has anybody ever been to a watch night service? It probably wasn't called that, nobody. It's like a Christmas Eve service, but on New Year's Eve. 
and you sing and you pray and you make commitments to God together all through the night, bringing the new year together uh, with the side, the side purpose of keeping uh, Christians out of the ruckus of New Year's Eve. But like the Christians 300 years ago, this year, I believe we have a commitment we need to renew, uh, repurposing or resolving for the new year. And unlike the other resolutions we might make during the year, there is no giving up on this one. There is no quitting on this resolution. Let's pray together and we'll keep talking. God, thank you for this day, for this new year that you've brought us. You're a God of life, of new life and new beginnings, and every new day is from you. We recognize that if the world is still spinning, there's still work to be done. And so we pray that we can recommit to being a part of what you're doing in the world. We love you. You're the best thing going for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. How, how was 2020 for you guys? Was it a good, that's a too general of a question. Uh, it was obviously, in a lot of ways, a really bad year. I know it was a good year for some people. Some people had babies. People got married. I had a friend of mine that was able to go home because he was working from home. He got to spend a ton of time with his family, and uh, that was really good for him. So I guess the question I'm, I'm asking more, and I'm assuming a lot in the way that I'm asking this, I understand. But how, how do you think we did, we being either humanity, Christians, America, however you want to categorize it, how do you think we did relationally in 2020? Do, do we love each other well? Do we treat each other well? How was that for you personally? Obviously, in this past year, a lot of people were hurt, and a lot of people did a lot of hurting. There's a lot of tension and divisiveness and relationships that have been going for years that have ended. And when there's issues like that, especially relationally, between human beings, I, I hate it when people take those issues and just want to address the symptoms. Just say, like, if he hadn't said that, or if she hadn't posted that, or if only he would apologize for this, or only if he knew what this did. But I want to get to the root of the issue. You're not going to solve anything by Band-Aid fixing the symptoms. I want to get to the root of the issue. And for me, the root of the issue starts all the way back in Genesis 1 with some things I think we missed and that we have forgotten. On the first pages of the Bible, we're introduced to a lot of things, but we're introduced to an idea in Genesis 1, the idea of the image of God. If you lived in biblical times, uh, you would have been used to people claiming to be the image of God. Many, most people actually of the time lived under the rule of a king, and these kings claimed to be God's image on earth, which gave them the authority to carry out the will of the gods, which is pretty convenient if you're a king, if you think about it. But these kings would also create idols, statues, that were also supposed to be physical embodiments of God, of the gods on earth, images of God. But as we know, Israel was supposed to be different. They were not to view their kings as gods. Additionally, they weren't allowed to create idols or images of God because God had already made images of himself. And it wasn't one ruler, one king. It was every individual human being given the authority and the task of representing God on the earth. Unfortunately, even though we are good stewards of what God has given us sometimes, uh, we often screw it up. 
And we bring sin and suffering and corruption and brokenness into the world. Thankfully, God sent his son, his own son, as the new human, the perfect image of God. In his life, Jesus shows us what it looks like to live a life fully imaging God. We see a life of serving and goodness and forgiveness and grace and peace. A life of self-giving love no matter who the other person is or what they've done. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus gave us the answer to the question, what is the image of God? But he also provided human beings a way to start living as the images of God that they are with love and goodness. Genesis 1, 26-28 reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Instead of them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves along the ground. Every human being has been made in the image of God. We're also of the earth, of dirt. So you could say that we are where heaven and earth meet. We contain the divine breath of God, but we're also made out of dirt. A friend of mine, he's a gardener, so this is funnier to him, but he likes to say that human beings are divine dirt. It's a phrase he likes to use. We contain the divine breath, but we're made out of the earth, out of dirt. And in some ways, because of that, I want to tell you to take your position, your calling, your influence very seriously because you are an image bearer. But at the same time, you're made out of dirt, so don't take yourself so seriously. You don't have all the answers, so don't act like you do and make people feel insignificant. You don't possess the wisdom to determine who's worth your love or not. But know this. God has made you and everyone ever on this earth in his image, in his likeness. You are his child and nothing can separate you from that love. In the same way, the person that you fought with all last year is his child. The person that mistreated you all last year is still created in the image of God. The person that you cannot stand is loved by God. The person that seems to always ignore you or the people that you always ignore on your drive to the store are his image bearers. So what does that mean? What does it mean? Everyone is made in the image of God, so what? A quote by one of our students, uh, Libby Hyden, I think sums it up best. Libby's actually here, which is super fun. But Libby said, I'm gonna read it twice because it's that good. Libby said it like this. If others are made in the image of God, isn't that enough of a reason to love them? If others are made in the image of God, isn't that enough of a reason to love them? (laughs) The wisdom of these kids, you guys. If you ever get a chance to hang out with any of our youth group kids, you should do it. They're the best. I only preach a few times a year, so this is my time to gloat. Uh, I think they're the best in the world. And I love them with all of my heart. So just put that aside. But I think she hit it right on the head. If the reality is that everyone is made in God's image, uniquely created with a divine breath to rule and to reign on the earth as God's ambassadors, then it follows that the way that you choose to treat others is how you're choosing to treat God. What you say to other people, God fearing or not, you're saying to the face of God. What you do to other people, Jesus following or not, you're doing to God. 
And this is not just reactive. The opposite is also true. Whatever you don't say or didn't do, you didn't say or didn't do for God. Jesus spells that out in his ministry. You have been granted the authority and the vocation to proactively love, proactively bring peace, proactively give grace and mercy, proactively forgive and ask to be forgiven. And if we're to be reflecting the image of God, we need to take note of how he feels about us because that should change how we feel about each other. And God loves us. So much so that he would sacrifice his own son so we might be with him forever as his children. And that self-giving love is something that you can never be separated from. How does that match up with how you treat people? How does that match up with how I treat people? A self-giving love so intense that he would give his own life so that we could have life. A self-giving love so generous that he would inconvenience himself so that we might have comfort and peace for eternity. I don't think we understand the reality of our position as image bearers and we don't treat others as if they are divine image bearers. If you remember, like I said earlier, Mark last week talked about opinions, beliefs, and convictions. And one of the convictions he argued that we should have is to love our neighbor. And I agree. Jesus spells it out in Matthew 22 when he's asked to sum up the law. But I believe what 2020 proved in us is that we are not as convicted about loving our neighbor as we thought we were. And it's hard to say. We are not as convicted about loving our neighbor as we thought we were. The tension we feel, the division that exists, the fact that the, the tent city in Charlotte has expanded like crazy, the people that were hurt, the people that were the loneliest they've ever been this year. All of this comes from a case of misplaced or lacking conviction about who we are and why we're here and what we should be up to and how we should treat other people. And before we start making excuses about why we can't really do anything or there's factors that are out of our control or, Daniel, that's just not realistic, let's just remind ourselves of some things, some things we all know to be true, but we need to be reminded of. We believe, this is what we believe. We believe in a God so powerful that he generates universes. Then we believe that he sent his son to the earth. And that man, Jesus lived a perfect life, died, and then rose from the dead. And by that sacrifice, we're all forgiven eternally. And not only that, but this man Jesus, who came back from the, from the dead, gave us his spirit, the same spirit that resurrected him so that we might be able to live out our vocation as images of God, redeeming and renewing the world. So before you say, that's just not realistic, Remember, we believe in a man who rose from the dead. And before we go wishing somebody else would take care of the big bad issues in the world, let's just remember that we are the most qualified people for the job. We are the most qualified people for the job because we have been qualified by God. Part of the trajectory of the image of God that I didn't mention before is where the story is going, which is very hopeful. 
at the very end of the Bible, we see the new earth where all the saved are ruling over creation, bringing out its potential and pushing the world forward. It's gone from a garden to a city. We're pushing the world forward as images of God with Christ as our Savior and example. But we can participate in that now, today. Is that not what Jesus was praying? We put on a new lens to see those around us this year. For as bad as last year seemed, this year can be a hundred times better. If we live as a people true to our name, we live true to the vocation assigned to us and recognize the reflection of God in everyone we interact with. What if we began to value everyone in the world or just everyone in Charlotte on God's terms? What if we began to love our neighbors as the children of God that they are? What if we began to understand the significance God has placed on every human being? And I hope, I hope you feel the urgency of the situation because whatever we've done in the past, especially last year, didn't work. The way we treated each other didn't work. And I do believe, and I hope you understand, that by taking our title as image bearers seriously and treating others as image bearers, we can change the world. And I don't mean that in like an empty hope, like we can change the world. I literally mean it. And I don't mean literally like my students use it where they actually mean figuratively, but they say literally for emphasis. I mean literally, actually, we could change the world. If just Providence Road were to understand our vocation as image bearers and treat everyone like image bearers, we'd change the world. So just pause for a second. Think about your life. If you need to close your eyes, you can do that. If you just want to fall asleep, that's fine. When I ask you a question, as I ask it, I want you to, to picture some people. And it may be people without faces, because it's the people that work at Harris Teeter or uh, some future person that you might get to know at your job or something. But I want you to picture some people and think about this question. How different would the world around you look if you went out of your way to treat everyone you see as you would treat God? How different would the world look if you went out of your way to treat everyone you see as you would treat God? Not just the people you already know, but your neighbors, your fellow image bearers. When you're about to go into Harris Teeter or you're about to pump gas next to somebody or you're about to get on a Zoom call for work or Skype or whatever you use. Or you just get thrown in a group text where a bunch of people are talking about somebody else. Or you're about to call your parents. How different would the world around you look if every interaction that you had, you went out of your way to recognize the image of God in every other human being? Can we be convicted to love our neighbor this year? And can we resolve to treat others as the images of God that they are? Can we look at the life of Jesus, the way he included those who opposed him, the way he welcomed those who were normally cast out, the way he saw and made time for those who were usually ignored, how he invited around the table the people that he was supposed to hate? Can we look at Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit and attempt to treat others and live cultivating the things that are present in the person of a spirit? Can we be convicted to love our neighbor this year? And can we resolve to treat others as the images of God that they are? 
I am made in the image of God. I am a child of God. I am loved by the Father. And nothing can separate me from that love. You are made in the image of God. You are a child of God. You are loved by your Father. And nothing can separate you from that love. That's true of you. That's true of everyone in your life. This is also true of anyone you've yet to interact with. So I'm going to repeat this again, and if you want to remember, I should have like printed it out or put it on the screen or something. If you want to remember this, if it's helpful to you, I'm about to repeat it. If you don't, you can just turn your ears off and don't listen, it's fine. But I think, I, be, I, I, don't, I don't think, I believe that if you were to take this series of phrases seriously, and before you did anything, before you ever interacted with anybody, you said these words about them and believed them to be true, and then treated them like you're, like you're talking to God. Treated them how you would want to treat God if he was in your presence. Because he is. I think we, we would change, this church would change. I think Charlotte would change. I think we could change the world. You are made in the image of God. You are a child of God. You are loved by your Father. And nothing can separate you from that love. You are made in the image of God. You are a child of God. You are loved by your Father, and nothing can separate you from that love. What if? Matt loves to ask what if questions, so I'll do it too. What if? What if we took this seriously? What if we understood our vocation as images of God? God has given you everything you need. You are not lacking anything. But if every time you had a, any conversation with anybody, you went out of your way to love them and talk to them and treat them like you were talking to God. I don't know about you, but I think that would be a game changer. We're about to take communion together, which if you haven't gotten it, it's in the box back there. Super yummy little things. They're not yummy. That was a lie. <clears throat> Part of what communion is, is uh, every week of recommitting to our relationship with God. And so that's part of what we're doing today, recommitting. The first Sunday of the new year, clean slate. But I want you to think about something else while you take communion today. I want you to picture people that you interact with in your life. And I want you to start scheming ways to love them with the self-giving love of Jesus. In the same way that we hear about the devil scheming for evil, we ought to be people scheming for good dreaming up ways that we can love other people and just hoping that we can make it happen. You are made in the image of God. You are a child of God. You are loved by your Father. And nothing can separate you from that love. I'm going to say a prayer and the band's going to come back up and play another song. But as you commune with God and with your fellow believers, 
remember you are made in the image of God and so is everybody else. Hey friend, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It would mean a lot and help a lot if you could like the podcast, hit that subscribe button, and comment on our episode. Also, it would be next level if you could support us on patreon.com and pledge a small amount for every episode we produce. Remember, if this has been good for you, don't listen to it alone. Find a church family, find a friend, listen together, have conversations, and ask if that's true, what do we do with that? Thanks again for listening to our podcast where we talk about Jubilee, Freedom, and Shalom all the time.